the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. For those looking to take their market and business knowledge to the next level, we offer Magic Markets Premium, a research reports and podcast library that nearly has 100 reports in it and a new one every week, all available for just 99 Rand a month. Recent reports have included the likes of Kroger, Deer & Co, Foot Locker, McDonald's, UPS, Apple, Meta, Johnson & Johnson & Swatch. With broad variety and deep research, this is perfect for anyone looking to go to the next level. We invite you to join us in Magic Markets Premium. Go to magic-markets.com to subscribe. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by B2IT. Have you heard of Robotic Process Automation or RPA? It taps into the incredible potential of artificial intelligence to effortlessly handle those never-ending, monotonous tasks. Or as B2IT put it, they make robots so people don't have to be robots. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. We thank B2IT for their support of Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 154 of Magic Markets. I think we are pretty in things up this week, Mo, covering some uh, beauty stocks. There isn't really a pure play beauty stock in South Africa, so I've, of course, had to be a little bit more creative than that. But uh, why don't we start with saying hello to you and finding out which stock you've covered this week for this Magic Markets show made possible by B2IT. Yeah, Ghost. I mean, people always say that we, we've got faces for radio or faces for podcasts. So <laughs> covering a beauty stock, uh, certainly uh, an interesting play for us here. It's not something that would be unfamiliar to regular Magic Markets listeners. You know, it's a stock that I'm looking at. is a stock we've covered in Magic Markets Premium before. And that's a company called Alta Beauty. That's U-L-T-A. Uh, very much a beauty specialist retailer in the US. Now, this has been a big theme. You know, we've covered other stocks in Magic Markets Premium like LVMH and inside LVMH, you get a brand called Sephora. That's a segment that's been growing really, really quickly. So this beauty business has actually been very pretty for investors, depending on where you were in the value chain. And last week, we had Ulta Beauty putting out results and we saw a massive, a sharp share price move. So that's the stock I'm going to cover, Ghost. What about you? So I really had two choices, Mo, on the local market. So I could either do clicks or Discam. And I just decided to do Discam because it's interesting. And I think clicks gets a lot more coverage, generally speaking. So I thought, let me dig in. And if you like, I'll go first, actually. Shall I kick it off with Discam? Okay, fantastic. So jump jump in. This game is something I'm familiar with. Uh, also, incidentally, my wife's one of my wife's favorite places to go and spend money when we're down in South Africa. They, this game gets a lot of my money. So I want to know if they're actually making money off me or not. That's incredible. No, they, they are. They're making money off you and basically everyone else. So yeah, I guess the point is, as I was saying, you know, we don't have Ulta Beauty here in South Africa. What we do have is cosmetics across all different kinds of retailers. So you know, you might recall when Edgar's was still a half-decent business, they tried to play in the space. Uh, there are cosmetics in groups like the Fashini Group. You get stuff like the supermarket chains, they'll carry the basics. Although they tend to focus more on things like shampoo than cosmetics, for example, in their health and beauty aisle, because they do struggle to deliver the premium atmosphere that this actually needs. And then you get the pharmacy groups, as I said, who have really nailed it. So that would be clicks and Discam. And they get used very interchangeably, those two, but... My first point is that in reality, there are quite significant differences in the strategy. So Clicks was actually always a beauty business that subsequently added in pharmacy. Discam was built as a pharmacy from day one. 
So if you go back in Click's annual reports going, you know, a few years ago, you'll find one of their strategic drivers was to keep putting dispensaries in stores. You know, these days you walk into a Click's, you just fully expect there to be a dispensary. It wasn't always like that. Discam, as I say, was a pharmacy day one with the front shop then added to that dispensary. And they don't disclose their results in exactly the same way in market share and level of detail. But in the latest Discam results, which cover their interim period, there's a pretty cool market share table that I think is worth just highlighting. So in dispensary, so that's obviously stuff given to you by a pharmacist, they have 24.4% market share in South Africa. So a quarter <laughs> of basically pharmaceuticals bought by consumers in South Africa bought from Discam. It's incredible. In healthcare and medical, they're all the way up at 46.9%, which is enormous because the front shop is very large and can stock a wide range of medical products. So again, just think about a clicks. It's generally smaller. And they also give quite a lot of space to appliances. That's Clix's little niche, basically. They have really strong market chain, small appliances. And of course, general merchandise margins are very nice. That's why they've done it. Whereas this game went more the sort of medical devices and you know everything from ankle straps throughout. You know, you'll find whatever you need at Discam. That's kind of their relative strength. Uh, going back to Discam, their personal care and beauty shares at 19%. Baby care all the way down at 11%. So you can see that they over-index on the medical side and maybe they could win more on the beauty and baby side. And that's why they've been doing stuff like acquiring Baby City, which will significantly increase their share in that market. And of course, if you've had a kid, you will be well aware of how much children cost and also how little of it you can really avoid. <laughs> it's just, it's a financial abyss. So not a bad place for a retailer to play. That's very interesting, Ghost. I think that's probably the reason why I spend so much money at Discam when I'm down in South Africa. It's really, you know, the travel germs get us and I'm, I'm down there buying the medication for the kids. But let's move across to Ulta Beauty. You know, if we look at Ulta Beauty, this is a business that doesn't have the pharmaceutical angle to it. You know, up in North America, you get a lot more of a niched focus. And if you're looking for a beauty play, well, this is very much a pure beauty play. And they've got segments like skincare, for example, or fragrances. I'm going to get into some of that detail actually in my second point. I don't want to start off there. Where I want to start off is maybe a little bit of a recap. Like I say, this is a stock that we covered in Magic Markets Premium back in April 2023. So relatively around six going on nine months ago. And now at the time, it was around $546 a share. And, you know, I look at the technicals. In our premium reports, we've got a, a kind of high-level technical overview of the stock. And at the time, we saw it as overbought and we were expecting a correction. Now, what happened is that it actually went a little higher at first and then it corrected sharply in what I would call two waves. The first wave was down to $420 a share. Then we saw a bounce back to around $500, and then a second wave down to $360 a share. And both of these were kind of around, in fact, the three, the $360 a share, that was the level it was at around the time of the last results. These are results last week. It subsequently pushed strongly higher. In fact, it was up over 10% and is now trading around $470 a share. So slightly below the levels that we had seen when we covered it in April 2023, but firmly in line with our view that a correction was due. Now, again, if you watch this very closely, if you look at the daily charts, you saw some gap windows that came through there. So some nice trading opportunities. But the point I wanted to highlight here, Ghost, is that from our original report, we had actually highlighted a couple of key levels and $360 where the stock seemed to pause was in line with a 200 week moving average. 
That's the long-term support that we generally look at for stocks. And this has been in a bull trend for a long time. It was extended. It pulled back to that long-term support and then saw the bounce. And importantly, both of those levels, I mentioned two waves. And if you have a look at how the stock has performed, those waves largely corresponding to our support one and support two levels on our original report. So the reason I highlight this is if you are a subscriber, go and have a look. This one has behaved relatively well compared to levels that we have indicated. But one key point is that we, we did indicate in our report that the likelihood was for the stock to disappoint. But interestingly enough, on the earnings releases, and there've been three since then, it actually beat the consensus analyst estimates that were out there. But the first two still led to large market moves to the downside. So that's interesting because it shows you that, yes, the companies delivered the underlying, the fundamental results, but that the market sentiment at certain times gets very extended. And so you have to be sensitive to what price you are paying for a compelling growth story. Two last minor points within this first segment of mine is that I want to touch on these early this week. Alta Beauty doesn't pay any dividends. So you are in the stock for the share price performance, potentially for the share repurchases, which was a strong feature that came through. And from March, Alta Beauty was actually number two in terms of the performance stakes versus its competitors. And it was still down around 8%. And that takes into account this actual rally that we saw last week. L'Oreal there, still firmly in the beauty space, up around 16%. So you are seeing some significant divergence even within this niche that is the beauty segment. Yeah, I suppose a good time for me to mention that this game dividend yield of around 1.4%, a little bit lower for a JSE listed company, but that's because the valuation is so high. So of course the dividend yield is then quite low. So for my second point, Mo, there's a great slide in that Disc Game Investor deck setting out their ROIC strategy, not heroic, ROIC, that's a return on invested capital. I often typo that as return on invest deck capital. I do that in ghost bites far too often and someone inevitably points it out, so I'm now very aware of it. It's return on invested capital. And the first point in their strategy around this is front shop margin. Now, it looks like they've invested in price in certain categories like OTC medication, that's over the counter, to try and actually drive footfall. And then they obviously hope that it translates into front shop sales. So what that means in very simple terms is they've looked at certain categories where they can actually be a bit more aggressive on price and then hope that if more people come to the store as a result, you give up a little bit on stuff you weren't making huge money on anyway. And you hope that on their way out, you know, those people buy things. And, you know, with this game, I've seen it on Twitter. I've experienced it in my own life. I don't care how disciplined you are. The chances of you leaving with only what was on your list from a disc game very, very remote. It really is difficult. <laughs> it's like going to look at a puppy. Just don't do it unless you're prepared to come home with it. So that's what it's like walking into a disc game. Now, another point that they're doing around margin is driving private label. Now, we know from covering many retailers that this maximizes margin, but it also maximizes brand engagement for these businesses. Disc game loves nothing more than for you to take a disc game branded product home for a million obvious reasons. Now, the second driver of ROIC is higher trade terms from suppliers or at least better trade terms. And linked to this, there's also a comment they make, which is a separate comment around credited days. Now, if you kind of just combine those two, the point here is that retailers look to make more money by just maximizing their terms of trade with suppliers. So for example, they want to pay them later, as late as they can, because it does good things for working capital and that does good things for your valuation. You also want to get the best possible rebates from your suppliers when you are pushing volumes through your store. So that's what happens in retail is you get volume rebates. The better you perform, the better your pricing. And of course, then the more aggressive you can be on price to consumers. So that's why a fast growing, successful retailer creates its own flywheel, 
Equally, a retailer in trouble seems to snowball into a disaster very quickly because trade terms deteriorate at exactly the same time that revenue is deteriorating. So a nice lesson there about retail. And the last point they make on this ROIC slide is automated forecasting and replenishment. Now, replenishment just refers to getting stock back on the shelves after it sells out. And automation between the stores and the distribution center, commonly called a DC, and then the suppliers as well, it helps to make that process as slick as possible because the reality is too little inventory hurts sales, too much inventory hurts working capital, and both of those things are critical in a return on invested capital calculation. So it's always a balancing act. And I guess the point here, which is obviously not just a discount point, but it's just a cool example, is retailers have various levers they can try and pull to improve their results. And if you look at metrics like ROIC, you're actually managing to get so many of them because you're combining the income statement and the balance sheet to see how the retailer is really performing. Yeah, some great insights there, Ghost. And I mean, I'm not going to touch on ROIC. We, we, we don't script these shows. So I don't know what you've covered, but I am going to touch on some numbers because I know we want to get into the numbers. And so for my second point, I'm going to first start off with the CFO because, you know, that's the custodian of the numbers. And the reason I want to start here in Ulta Beauty, back when we covered the stock in April, we actually had highlighted the fact that management team was relatively new with the exception of the CFO. And the CFO at that time was Scott Setterston, and he had been in the role for quite some time. So we had said, this is a bull point. You know, there's some continuity in terms of management. He was in that role for over 10 years. And we saw that as a thumbs up, you know, that got a thumbs up from us. Now, why is this important is that we are currently seeing a transition. Scott Setterston is going to be retiring in April next year after almost 20 years at the company. Now, his replacement is Paula Oyebo, who was the VP of finance. So it's an internal appointment. And the market kind of taking this announcement in its stride. But I do think it's important to note that you are losing a CFO with significant tenure at the business. And I would see this as a bit of a risk flag. It's not a major risk flag, but it certainly is a risk flag. You've got to keep your eye on that just to see how the new CFO settles into the role and if you see that continuity come through. Now, let's jump into some of the numbers. You've touched on ROIC, for example. And when we look at Alta, if you look at the headline numbers, the fact of the matter is that momentum has been easing. So when the stock actually beats expectations, it doesn't mean the direction of those metrics is the right way around. It simply means that they've done better than the market had expected. Now, Q3, you can categorize them as strong results with that context in mind because net sales increased by 6.4%. But importantly, you have to note that comparable sales increased by 4.5%. So the gap is obviously the, the growth strategy that the company has been putting through. And effectively, operating profit was at around 13% of sales. So in aggregate, the market reading this as a better set of results than they had anticipated. But again, in our original report, we had highlighted the fact that there were concerns around margins and what's been happening there. So let's look at margin because this segment is known to be a very juicy segment. It is specialist retail, it is beauty. And when you look at this on a gross margin level, Ulta coming through at 39.9%. Let's round it off, that's 40%. Now that's a fairly juicy margin in the retail space. It has shown some resilience, but it has actually moved lower from levels that were much higher than that over the preceding years. If we just quickly break this down, we say, okay, if you were to stack gross margin, operating margin, and net margin broadly over the longer term, how does that look for a company like Alta? Well, we've indicated 40 at a gross margin level. That then dilutes down to an operating margin around 13% and a net margin around 10%. 
And that's where they've currently delivered. But again, I must stress that that is lower than they've been over the course of the last few years. The company has faced some headwinds. The reason why those margins have been under pressure is that you've got supply chain issues. You've also got competitive pressures that are starting to come through. And I'm going to unpack that in my last point, where I break this down into the category performance, where the company's done a little bit better, where they've actually lost some ground. And that should give us a more of a strategic close to my discussion on Alta. So my last point, Mo, is also very much around just key considerations you'll see at every retailer, because I always think, you know, for our listeners, I'd rather give you stuff that you can actually apply when you read about any retailer, rather than just learning about Discam. Obviously, there's some stuff to learn about Discam here as well, but there's some really cool lessons in here. You know, if you listen to Mo talking about the techs and management changes and all this kind of stuff, margins, all the stuff that I've covered, you know, this is what you need when you look at companies. So I'm going to touch on a couple of key considerations that you'll see at practically every retailer. Now, the first one is around loyalty programs. That's always a big thing. Clix has historically been the master of this in South Africa with the Clix Club card. And I'm focusing on Discam here, as we know. So I'm going to give you those stats instead. And I'll show you just how big Discam is. No one talks about this. So they have data on 14.9 million unique customers and patients. It's a lot of people. They have 8.6 million loyalty members. It's also a lot of people. And those numbers are both growing strongly. They were up like a million each year on year. It's intense. Now, 76% of sales are to loyalty members. So this really helps Discam with their customer data, with the engagement of its shoppers as well. Retailers always talk about personalized engagement to help drive sales. And of course, there is the risk of big talk, small execution. But the reality is if you know what your customers are buying, you have a much better chance of giving them the right kind of offers. If they are buying baby stuff, hit them with the baby stuff promotion. You know, this is not difficult actually. And the other point that I want to touch on is e-commerce, where sales are up 32.2% year on year, which is quite incredible when you consider how much it grew during the pandemic. Obviously coming off a small base here, but still. And the most interesting thing, there's a great chart in their analyst prezo that deals with delivery costs as a percentage of revenue, which is very cool. So in 2020, it cost them 9% of revenue to fulfill an online order. So very expensive, but they only had 10 hubs for fulfillment. It now costs them 4.8% of revenue because they have 85 hubs from which they can fulfill orders. So e-commerce, yes, it's a tough game. And of course, the reason consumers love it is because it's convenient and there's a real cost saving in time and energy, literally energy, the stuff you put in your car from going to the store. They actually push those costs onto the retailers and other retailers have to wear that cost of someone packing your order, bringing it to your house, so profitability in e-commerce is not straightforward. You do need scale, but as e-commerce scales, so do the profits as well. So it's really cool to see a chart like that showing the number of hubs and how that delivery cost as a percentage of revenue improves over time. It bodes well for the unit economics of e-commerce. Ghost, I'm so glad you've touched on those points because that comes into some of the strategic wrap I'm going to be doing on, on Alta. Now, I don't have the loyalty numbers at Alta, but I'm, I'm going to touch on their loyalty program. I'm going to touch on e-commerce as well. But maybe first starting off with the various categories that Alta operates in. And first and foremost, you know, what's doing well? Well, skincare was the fastest growing category for Alta Beauty and we actually saw double-digit growth in both in both their mass and prestige segments. Obviously, prestige, as the name implied, the higher-end stuff. Interestingly enough, fragrance and bath category, that delivered low double-digit growth, not as exciting as the skincare. But the interesting thing for me here is that makeup category, that was actually flat. Sales, sales were actually flat in that space. 
hair care, certainly not the aisle I'm going into there, that category down in the low single digits, so actually declining. So that gives you a sense of which segments performed well in Alta's business specifically, and this has led them to, you, you've touched on, for example, private label. Alta Beauty saying they're looking at launching new exclusive brands in their makeup and expanding their existing brands. Now, a portion of this would be their own private label stuff, but Alta also very successful, similar to Sephora, I must say, at incubating small niche brands that come through that then occupy a space on their shelves. And they will look at negotiating some sort of exclusivity around that. So not entirely private label, but that, that private label and again, niche brand focus starting to come through. And why is that the case? Well, Alta's actually lost some market share. Certainly in that prestige segment, they've noted that they've lost some market share and they've cited the reason for this as, and this is their words, expanding distribution points. Now, what does that mean? It simply means more competition. So for example, Kohl's, which is another specialist retailer in the US, has actually signed up a partnership with Sephora, that's LVMH, and they've been rolling out a lot more Sephora stores. So you can understand how those competitive pressures are coming through. Now, again, in our original report, we had highlighted how Ulta's growth strategy was very much dependent on a new store rollout. And we had cited how this is an expensive strategy for actually growing the business. And this has started to come through. So this now ties into the e-commerce point because Alta is experimenting with smaller store formats in more remote or niche areas, if you want to call it that. And they have just gone through a massive revamp of their own e-commerce platform. So again, optimizing what they call their digital transformation journey, lots of, you know, kind of strategic gumph talk coming through there. But there is actually some merit to this in that they've streamlined their checkout systems and they're looking at plugging this in a lot more firmly to their loyalty program. This was a bull point that we had noted in our original report. They have a very valuable loyalty program, as you've indicated with this game, with clicks as well. The insights that this offers you into the customers is absolutely critical to then generating a targeted digital campaign and then pointing those consumers to the various channels you want them to go and shop in. And that might be e-commerce in Alta's point, simply because the e-commerce looks as though it's less expensive than this high-end retail footprint that Alta has thus far been known for. So in aggregate, you know, a couple of moving parts with regards to these strategic initiatives. Uh, the, the, the bull point here is that Alta has the ability to do this. It's a company that doesn't have a lot of debt. In fact, it's got little to no debt on its balance sheet and they continue with share repurchases. So they've got this balance sheet flexibility to allow them to pivot their growth strategy and to try continue delivering on what is effectively a growth stock. The big question mark is how much do you pay for that growth? And that really was the story of the share price over the course of the last several months is it was very extended. It's found some support, but go and have a look at that. And again, you know, perhaps you just have to be sensitive to the fact that competitive pressures are strong. And even on a stock like this, when you find the support, yes, it might be compelling, but be sensitive when a stock is actually gapped up 10, 12%. No, I wouldn't certainly rush into the stock right now, but some promising signs behind the scenes, even though some of those headline metrics are facing some headwinds. Yeah, I think retail is always fun to do, Mo, because it's easy to understand in a way. You can see it around, you can walk into the store, you can check it out. That's why I enjoy following it so much, I think. And I think we've covered some really important concepts on this show. And you'll see, you know, listen to the show, give it another listen, you know, learn from this. And then when you read about the next retailer, you'll see so many of these themes coming through again. So yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad we could cover these two 
retailers. I don't have a position in this game. I think it's just a bit too expensive, to be honest. And I don't think you have shares in Alta, do you? Yeah, historically, I've had shares in Alta, but more from a trading perspective, I don't have it in the core long portfolio. Uh, but it is an interesting one to watch. And I, the reason I watch it is I, I see the emphasis of beauty. I call it the vanity trade up here in North America. I mean, that's really been where a lot of action and activity has been on the ground and then also in the marketplace. Uh, but if you've enjoyed this, you know, consider subscribing to Magic Markets Premium if you're not a subscriber already. It's only 99 Rand per month and you'll get this level and then a whole lot more in terms of deep dives into global stocks where we look at the strategic overview, we look at a bull and a bear box, the technicals, the kind of stuff you've heard on the show, but in a lot more detail. We hope you've enjoyed us. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on social media. It's at Magic Markets Pod. That's one word on X. It's at Finance Ghost and at Mohamed Nalla. Or go and find us on LinkedIn and pop us a note on there. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. We thank our sponsor, B2IT, for making this show possible. B2IT is all about making life easier, one robot at a time. If you hate it, automate it. Visit b2it.co.za to kickstart your business automation journey. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.